Hello and welcome back to Hitchhiking with Drunken Nuns, a podcast in which I like to talk about harnessing the wonderful power of serendipity. So to plan for this episode, I did little more other than to stick out my thumb to the wonderful force of serendipity to see who or what would turn up. And my friend Paul did. He likes to talk a lot about the democratisation of connoisseurship, a subject which is very close to my heart. So last night we sat down together with a couple of glasses of whiskey and we started to talk. And that conversation is now here and ready and available for you guys to listen to. If you would like to feed back to any of the subjects that we've spoken about, you can easily download the Anchor podcast app and send me a voice message, which could be included in future episodes. So I look forward to hearing from you. And here you go. I shall leave you with myself and Paul. Hope you enjoy. Hello, I am here with my friend Paul, who I have known for how long, Paul? I would say coming up on six months. Six months, yeah. Around there. So the reason I know Paul was one evening in the winter. Um, I was. It was a snow day. We had been snowed in. No one had left my street or been to my street that whole day. Um, I received a message from my lovely friend Toria, who you've all met, and she said, my friend Paul is coming through Chesterfield. Can he stop by and say hi? And um, I got a little motto in life. I have a few mottos, and one of them is, I don't say no unless I have a good reason. It was uh, Scotland's first ever red alert snowstorm, as I recall. Oh, it was. And you were driving through Scotland as well. It was the tale of the beast from the east, was it not? Is that what it was called? That's what they called it, yeah. The tale of the beast. Well, no, no, no. The, I made up the tale part. I'm just saying the it was tale the is an interesting add-on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. True. So um, Paul arrived. I can't remember what day of the week it was. At, I think it was five to eleven at night. Five minutes later. So I've just met Paul for the first time. Um, he drove in very successfully let's say, after maybe being Canadian, having some experience driving in the snow. I think that's a little bit generous because I had tried first to come up the other road and had a complete impasse. Well, I was not aware of that. It looked like right. to me like you drove in very smoothly and well, calmly. Uh, facade achieved in that case. Yeah. <laughs> yes, achieved. Well yeah. achieved. Five minutes later, um, Johnny turned up. Um, also half Canadian, but I think was perhaps lacking the the half Canadian not he, the driving half not the driving half of the Canadian and he got himself stuck sideways in front of another car yeah yeah it was yeah he was a few minutes he was, he was a couple thrusts of the gas pedal from uh from contact with the parked car from the, slow collision yeah slow sliding collision on the side of a hill mm. so um if i'd said no toria i've got another friend coming round i don't think it's a good idea for me to meet your friend paul tonight i do not know how i would have got johnny out of that situation with the car so paul's swans in looking like you know he'd had an easy drive in and and helped maneuver johnny out of this impossible situation Kind of mm. like you kind of turned up like a bit of a hero on a snowy night. So I had a Canadian and a half Canadian 
turning up within five minutes minutes of each other. Um, Which was a great coincidence for me as well because you know uh, at a first meeting when you come over and somebody's hosting you, if you can <laughs> if you can do them a favor from the world word go. <laughs> you're already. You're already. You, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can relax at that point. And it's then good. we had a nice evening discussing uh, the meaning of life and eating fish and chips. I think I think I started cooking fish and chips about one. You in did. The morning. That was just. Some pretty stellar hosting, I've got to say. Yeah, and then Paul swanned back off <laughs> into the snowstorm, never to be seen again. Yeah. <laughs> but we've been in touch since. Paul's had a few adventures since, mm-hmm. um, in which you've been uh, on oil... Where have you been on oil ships? I work on uh, on seismic boats, where we ultrasound the ocean floor, uh, so that uh, rigs know where and how to drill, in what direction. Uh, yep, I've been doing that for 20 years, I work offshore, don't think I could handle an office. So and you've, you've had a charity trip since, is that top secret? You no, know, it's not top secret. Uh, over the last two months I worked for an NGO that was involved in the the refugee, um, oh, I don't know, happening I would say, the, you know, the, the big mm-hmm. stuff. Anyway, yeah, I was down in Malta uh, for that. That was my first NGO, so. How much are you allowed to say? Oh, whatever you want to ask. Oh, really? Yeah, of course. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I had we had some contact with Paul during that time, and there's there's something about you're listening to the news about the refugees in Libya and the situation, but when you're hearing it firsthand, mm. for me, it felt a lot more real. For you, I imagine, actually being there, had you looked at those news stories before? Uh, no, and, and, and had I any actually opinion? didn't look at them during... Uh, when it was going on, I wasn't actually... I, I would only get third party if somebody else on the boat had read about it. They might mention it. But I wasn't actively looking to see what was what our perception was. You, you or, weren't thinking about the bigger picture of the whole situation. Were you keeping it I just... I was quite aloof. I believe we coined the term together that I was the slacktivist. The slacktivist. Yes, because... Uh, Providing the... Uh, yeah. I may be the light a, entertainment. Yeah. I mean, I might be there... Uh, doing the thing. But Slacktivism was... is a new. Uh, has that term been used before? Do you think? I don't think so. Possibly. I don't think we, we could... made it up. I don't think most uh, activists would be proud of being slack, but I was because leisure is something that I am particularly proud You're of. You're very active about actively yeah. pursuing very very relaxed leisure activities. I really believe that uh, pleasure and leisure are the the chief goals in life provided of course you're not uh, damaging somebody else yeah. i believe chasing the pleasures of the senses being very a, active about pursuing a very relaxed lifestyle that's a noble goal that's similar to me being devoutly rigid about my commitment to being a flexitarian yeah which that's i mentioned right. today i i'm I, i'm unflinchingly unflinch, unflinchingly flexitarian yeah. yeah 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 i will not move on that i will be permanently <laughs> fixatedly flexible yeah with my um meat eating habits yeah yes so yeah we've invented that today and also the idea of very very relaxed um yeah being devoted to uh relaxation so you provided cocktail drinks then i did the idea of that's quite interesting i did yeah i mean there was it was a very when we were in port um you know there was a lot of it was a beer culture and I don't, I'm not really beer oriented and, uh, I know everybody likes cocktails when they're made and it was something that I could, it was something that I could bring to them because 
uh, as an engineer, I really wasn't the strongest engineer. I hadn't done it in a while. So I figured, well, what I can bring is uh, humor and uh, flavor, um, which is good for the crew. It's good for morale and stuff. So we went for it. And yeah, it was very fun. But when it's about alcohol, you've got to get the balance right. Because if you're trying to like keep the spirits up, keep motivation working but then people aren't getting out of bed till 12 o'clock the next day oh no it was never anything like that uh, frankly i couldn't make things in that kind of volume to cause oh, okay. a problem for that you know but you know when there's 20 so when it, with slacktivism you've got to get it you got to get it just right the yeah yeah i suppose so yeah it comes pretty naturally <laughs> it comes pretty naturally you know so generally speaking Okay, so I'm now I'm equating this idea of like my flexitarianism because my vision for eating is that if we were all more relaxed about veganism and meat, we would then make that lifestyle more accessible to the masses. How do you think we're not relaxed about veganism, for example? Because um, I've known, I've got vegan friends who are very militant about it. Okay. And so it's either you're in the club or you're out of the club. And if you're in the club, you're going to be all in. If not, you're not a real vegan. And then you're not part of the club. Uh, well, so I therefore, can... people feel they're not part of the club and therefore they don't even try to join the club. Now we can cross say that, that there are some meat eaters who are very offended by veganism and threatened by it. Mm. You know. So by being, eating, you know, not, you know, I'm more of a, you know, I still eat quite a lot of dairy, but by saying you can be a vegetarian, but you can be really relaxed about it, it then opens it up. So how about with your idea of, slacktivism <laughs> you could then say to people maybe you don't feel like the student um devout activist greenpeace you know yeah no you're just doing what, sprouting you, you just like eating vegetables you that's you know that's you're doing what you want yeah but how would that then apply to sorts of activism that kind of laid back people can do is there a way of opening up activism to the masses mm. In the similar way that I kind of think it might be possible to open up. You know, strangely, I've actually had a hard time. I never thought this would be the case, but I've actually had a hard time promoting pleasure as a uh, as a desirable thing. I find I, I'm when I look into the majority of people, <laughs> it sounds really crazy, right? Because we're all supposed to uh, want and crave pleasure. It's supposed to be something that ultimately we're uh, we have to sort of control our urge to just please ourselves rampantly but that's actually not what i find in general i think people have shut themselves down uh they find something that they consider good enough and they stop exploring and and i think that life is really about exploring the limits of pleasure because shame is key in things and people not feeling worthy do you think do you think if we were able to really kind of love ourselves and allow ourselves to experience the good things in life I always think everything starts with, you know, you can't go, you can't love your neighbour if you don't love yourself. How can you be an activist? How can you genu genuinely care for other people, genuinely make a difference if mm. you're not allowing yourself that level of if yeah. respect? Yeah, I, I definitely think that's that's true. I mean, there's something about the exploration of, of pleasure which is very empowering in the sense that you start then to think of yourself as a person of taste you know, someone who can taste things that are above and beyond the norm or, you know, you, you know, you, you become an excellent critic, 
you know, in the best possible sense of the words, because critic, of course, has some negative connotations to it. But when you know you get good at something, it's good for you. You know, it's, it's helpful. But I do find people really, uh, there's a level to which they're willing to master something pleasurable. Yeah. And beyond that level, perhaps they're concerned about being seen as overindulgent. Um, but I am shocked at how difficult it is to get people on board with enjoying <laughs> the best things in life, frankly. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I increasingly seeing parallels between how you view that um, my, my thing with art, because I, I've enjoyed learning to be creative myself and the freedom that that gives me and how learning to be creative, you know, with the visual arts, how that will affect my cooking or the way that I, you know, decorate my house or dress or educate my children. It's this kind of knock on effect. But what it's become for me is, you know, once I've found um, the freedom that creativity can give me and naturally want to share that with other people, because mm. what I've seen with you is you've gone on this journey of learning to experience the best taste and the best you know to to, to train your palate um to appreciate flavors um and those details and also with talking about sound and with music you train your ear yeah but then it's progressed from that into you wanting to open those worlds to other people hasn't it I've always wanted to to share it I mean I found out about a lot of this stuff because somebody who came before me took the time to take me under their wing. Um, Ooh, beautiful. Yeah. So, you know, you, there's, the, there's actually, it, it's actually frustrating that, you know, not to have a pupil because that's, that is the great, it's wonderful to introduce somebody to stuff like this and then have sort of contemporaries in the field. But yeah, I find the real, the real, you know, boffins are, are few and far between. And then the boffins in waiting don't seem to be they're they hard to find boffins in waiting are hard to find yeah so many things that paul says that i just want to print on a t-shirt or something <laughs> <laughs> but because what you do like your journey in other words you know you're a connoisseur of taste and flavor but there are no real it sometimes when you you don't have a qualification or a job description because you're keeping this just as kind of like personal exploration you know it's not suddenly turned into a career for i'm you. very anti-qualification i'm very anti-qualification you know uh, i don't know i mean i'm not saying you know the the effort involved in getting qualifications i respect that people have worked hard for it and stuff but uh i think the connoisseurship is almost always arrived at just by by passion i don't think you can scientifically arrive at well you, i guess you can but uh, it's it's a hard question, isn't it? How do we really get drawn to the things that become our expertise? You know what I mean? Like, how do you train to be good at art? Well, this is what my thing that I always say. It's it's not about what you're born with. It's about the time that you put in. Anything that you devote a lot of time to, you get good at it. But it also has to be well-applied time. Because you can just throw time at art or anything. And if you're throwing throwing it in the same way every time yeah it's going to continue you know not quite hitting but you have to try and you know keep throwing the time in the right way and kind of learning and growing and developing mm. um but the way to spend time doing something or learning something it's got to come from passion and i suppose we're lucky in the sense that all of these great things all of these things like art food culture all this stuff is being thrown around us all the time and some of it 
the pleasure response causes us to dive in. Like, you know, we do have to dive in. And that's that's sort of what I'm talking about with the whole, the, the concept of inside you, everybody's got their own pleasure triggers. And if we followed them, and if we really followed them in an unbridled fashion, mm. then, then we would really, I, I do think that's a life well lived when you do that. And, and also knowing, right, for example, today we had a meal, you knew when to stop and you got your, what did you call it? I call it a doggy bag. You call it a... Uh, uh, to-go box. A yeah. to-go box. Yeah. yeah. So I guess when it comes for, for experience, you know, growing and learning, experiencing new things, yep. it's also knowing, it's also, when you're talking about pursuing pleasure, it sounds so dangerous because it sounds like you're going to damage other people. It sounds But it's like, that point of knowing when to stop, knowing sounds, when it's healthy. Yeah. It sounds like reckless excess. Um... And yeah, you know what I mean? There's a, there's a place for excess, you know what I mean? But yeah. Getting the balance right. Yeah. To enable you to then go back and carry on. Because that's, because since you've got. Because if you, if you, if you engage in too much excess, you become unhealthy and then you become less powerful and less able to continue to please yourself. It's it's weird that way. You just burn out. Yeah. You lose your capacity, you know, that's what balance is for, is for keeping you alive, healthy, and comfortable to the point where you can approach things with a clear mind and a yeah. true appreciation, mm. maybe. Right. So I said to Paul that my uh, the lens through which I see a lot of things is the lens of my weird um, Christian upbringing. <laughs> so uh, last night we uh, learned, I learned, to, to try a lot of different whiskeys. I've always... At the moment, um, very, very interested in exploring taste and, and training. I didn't realise that your taste buds could be trained in that way. And I'm finding that really interesting. But let me, I'm just going to go on to, to my weird spiritual thing. If not, I'm going yeah, to lose it. So I've been on a strange kind of journey of Christian deconstruction, of kind of thinking, oh my gosh, maybe God exists outside the church and maybe God isn't a man. I'm thinking about all of those things. And one of the points at which I started to deconstruct my Christian faith and to start to ask some questions very seriously was when one evening I drank some whiskey and I thought, hang on, I can feel the presence of God. And I'm like, is God in the whiskey? Did I never really experience God when I was in church? Maybe it was just a sensory experience. And so I'm thinking, but the exact same experience, you know, the fire in the chest, the feeling of being present and part of everything. They served wine at communion. Yes, there you go. It's it's all interconnected. So I think that was one of the points when I kind of realised that. And last night, trying, really learning with Paul to deconstruct all of those different flavors and to focus on on those things it was meditation it really was meditative experience because some of the things you're saying were you know um i don't know like the journey that the flavor takes you on and just being very aware of the different levels and i'm not very good at meditation i my catchphrase for describing this is sort of that um, flavor and whiskey does this a lot, but so do so does food. It uh, it's more it's not a one thing. Flavor is not a thing. It's more like a story. 
there are things that happen at certain times in the decay of the experience. So there's like, you know, if you looked at, you know, flavor on a graph, you know what I mean? And the x-axis was time. What's going on in the y changes as you move on. So, yeah. so you're thinking about what, what's exciting about whiskey is you're thinking about a good whiskey that has a long, complex flavor is that it's, it's letting the tastes change and morph and paying attention to those shifts as they're happening and, uh, and going on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. And, you know, and I, it was actually whiskey that, and, and developing my, my taste for whiskey that brought me to understanding that the same thing happens with food. I've been eating food my entire life, but when I started thinking about timing with whiskey, I brought it back to food and realized the same stuff was going on. So. My favorite, one of my favorite things you said last night, I don't know if you can remember it, because we'd had quite a bit to drink by that point, yeah. was the thing about the Nissan. Do you remember what it was you said? Oh, no. Oh, what yeah. other car did you, did you describe? Oh. So was it Mercedes or something? Yeah. Well, I can't remember what it was. I, honestly, I'm sorry, I can't. No, you know, okay, we're going to have to try and remember because it was really good. So with, you're talking about you're trying the best whiskey. And, and the question I have been asking Paul for a while, because I've been thinking a lot about taste, is, yeah, but do I really want to learn to appreciate the best things in life? Because isn't that just going to mean that I am no longer going to be able to enjoy a, you know, a cheese sandwich, that I'm going to want the caviar? You know, that once you've tried a good whiskey, am I going to be able to then go back and drink something cheap? Oh, or am I, okay. am I therefore going to be, uh, I'm going to have to then spend all my money on very, yeah. very good food, okay, very good okay, drink. Okay. And I think I said that, what? okay, so what the difference between a connoisseur and a, and a show-off is like, um, the show-off is going to always want to drive the Mercedes, but the connoisseur learns to love operating a Nissan yeah and that's very much the same in whiskey like for example yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so your Johnny Walker blues and stuff like that that's that's expensive whiskey for the sake of being expensive yeah but you're you know something along the lines of a, of a regular day clean leash or something is the yeah. way and the way that I really understood that example was your Madonna song <laughs> so the Madonna metaphor in conjunction with the Nissan Metaphor yeah, we were talking well. about that, weren't we? That was really fun, actually. I, I, on the way up, uh, I put the radio on, and mostly because uh, it was one of the new complicated style radios, which is all touchscreen, and I was also okay, trying to drive. Okay, you have to excuse yourself first. Yeah, okay. and I was trying to drive. Uh, so, in any, <laughs> so in any case, while I'm doing this, I, you know, I had limited ability to change the station, and, and an old Madonna song came on, and uh, I found that a new sort of... Uh, love of listening to old tracks that I've heard a thousand times, but paying attention to something totally different. And that is, that's the sort of thing that you do once you've listened for thousands of hours, you start to say, okay, forget what's going on in the foreground. Let's listen exclusively to what's happening in the back that makes all of the fairy dust, Yeah, you know, makes the song pop for reasons that we don't really understand. So normally you can listen to a song, you just listen to the singer, you listen to the lyrics, you know, you listen to the guitar, but there can be some bass notes there. Yeah. One of my that you've never things, picked, up, picked out before. One of my favorite things about early 80s Madonna is uh, tuning out Madonna. Yeah. If, if you actually don't listen to the singing and you actually think about what's going on in the production side of it, it's pretty clever. And there are some pretty amazing tones in there. Anyway, I'm going to come off as a Madonna apologist, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's pretty. So you're trying. So this, this makes 
brilliant sense to me because it means that therefore I want to learn to drink some of the best whiskies and to try to go to some of the most expensive restaurants and to pick out certain flavours that I've never identified before and then to go back and eat a meal, just a simple home-cooked meal and just to to spot, you know, in the background, in the details, some little flavours and things I've not picked out before. Well, one of the reasons I think that, uh, that, that Toria introduced us is that I think she knows that you know all of all of us are in a circle of one way we all do have this potential for for passion and deep interest in things mm. i mean you do exactly what i do with with color mm. and and you know painting you do stuff you're you're exactly that kind of a geek and uh and yeah so you know so anybody who's ever done anything to a a deep level has an affinity with everybody else who has done that i think it was victoria i said, I was saying the other day, you learn one thing about something and you've learned something about everything. It's once I've, you know, I've seen art in a different way. It suddenly clicked with me one day. And that was when I had, I leapt forward a lot in my painting style. As soon as I realized about painting in layers. Yep. You know, you can just get a canvas, you can draw out what you're going to draw, and then you can color each section separately. And that was how I drew in in primary school. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I figured out, the, the way you can paint in layers using acrylic. You know, you paint the background, then you can draw a few lines, and then you do another layer just in blue, and then another details in, you know, in yellow, and you build it up, build it up, until you've got 20 or 30 different layers. And understanding that that is a, a way to experience taste. Yeah. And music. And music. And writing. And writing. Because you get the vague plot there, and then you end up with the detail, and then you, you, know, you finish up on tiny, minuscule details of grammar. But you... You know, you don't start with the tiny, tiny details. And performance, uh, like performance of you know speaking, yeah, is the same sort of thing. Anything. Exactly, the layering of of how you would how you perform of like a piece of poetry yeah. out loud compared yeah. to how it is on the on the page. Mm-hmm. So once I'd I'd started to see layers in visual art, then suddenly I'm aware of them in writing, in cooking, in everything. And in the glottal pause. The glottal stop. The glottal stop. Yeah, yeah, of the uh, of the Yorkshire dialect. Right. Yeah. Mm. So that's an interesting. On the table in front of us, I've got a book. Um, funny because I was talking about it last night. Uh, it's um, Nigel Slater's autobiography called Toast, and I think it's a really, really beautiful autobiography. But he's he's written um, from the pers- he's written a story about his childhood from the perspective of you know the 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 palate, and again as you know a top chef he's not talking about big complex things he's reduced it down to talking about buttered toast and biscuits and things that we can identify with because i think once you've learned to really taste toast yeah it goes both ways you can learn to taste the simple things and then you can um experience the bigger things but anyway everything's just one isn't it yeah i mean i have a lot of fun with uh tasting simple things like for example uh, I really love a bowl of buttered popcorn, for example. So apart from the hangover. Uh, yes, that's right. The, dehyd- the salt dehydration hangover of the popcorn is very real. It's very real, and you have to sort of watch out for that. But in any case, never mind. Pitfalls aside, <sighs> I would say that uh, when I decided that I was going to be watching a lot of movies and and doing this fairly regularly during a, a time off period I had, I went out and bought eight different brands of butter. You didn't. I did. Of course you did. And over the week, I had a butter off 
and I would make popcorn with different butter every day. Your flatmates involved in this? No, no. This no. is you. Nobody wants to do this. Did you, did you do a spreadsheet? <laughs> I think I would. So did you have a spreadsheet? Uh, not for that one. Because a spreadsheet with butter would be great. Yeah, but I because I, I, that was one of my early offs. That was one of my early, you know, competition stuff. But now, uh, like the ones I've done in the last couple of weeks were uh, tomato pastes. And I did get a spreadsheet. I did it with chorizos. I had like six chorizos. But a spreadsheet works better with tomato paste and butter than it would do with chorizos. Well, you can just, you can add things like where it was bought, what the price is, what the full name of the brand is, you know, and then your tasting notes, right? And what's what was it, Why were you interested in, in was it tomato, tomato paste? Let's Be, use your idea. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fine with tomato. For the, for the sake of consistency. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, well, because... When I see, when I go to the grocery store and I need to buy tomato paste, for example, I see a rack of seven or eight choices. I can't handle that. Like for me, like when I look at it, I need to know. Which is the best one. Which one to choose and why. Like I need to know, okay, right. But, what, we, but that's if you're always going to the same supermarket. What if you then start going to a different supermarket? Uh, it's a different new, seven. If there's new tomato paste, I need to know again. I will oh, keep going. Wow. The point is, you, if I have to know which one's the best. Or, you know, which one's the one for me? Which one's the one that I really like? It's not the best of the best, but which one really excites my palate? Because whatever you're making, your ingredients choices are like, are like the most important thing. That's, that's what really makes an absolute tour de force of a, of a dish is like, is knowing that everything that went in there pulls its weight, you know, and, uh, or, or you think about its specific character and you may say, oh, I don't actually want a bright tomato-y thing this time. This time I want something that's got sort of umami in it or I want something a bit spicy or something. So if you know the recipe calls for something other than your gold standard, you'll make a choice, but it's an educated choice because you've tried it. I quite often just throw blind luck at things. But, in the well, same way that my mum would cook. And sometimes you get a meal that's just like, oh, that worked. And sometimes it doesn't. But once you're understanding that the basic ingredients is what a meal's made of, yeah. Probably the you know changing a brand of tomato sauce. We had a conversation about the water in coffee. Yeah, I did that. I, that was also that may have been my, was that was that just a personal. That may have been my very first uh, off. Was I did a water off, <laughs> right? Because I, and that was situational. That I was sort of pushed into that because I was living in Texas at the time, and in Houston the uh, city water just tasted bad. Like I mean, you could it wasn't. You know, I get it. People are thinking, oh, you know, water is generally tasteless. I promise you it's not. Uh, it, it totally is. Yeah. And, and so we it's were the like... the first thing you know, I notice when I go on holiday, you go somewhere else, is the taste of the yeah. change in the water. And I started to notice that I could taste the municipal water in the coffee. Like, I could taste it through the coffee. So I was like, okay, well, something must be done. So I went and I went... Something and, must yeah. be done. And I'd also noticed, I'd noticed that, like, when I bought bottled water, I never liked Evian. No matter how much the marketing was designed to entice me, I ne you know, as a being at a premium product, this and that, I never liked it. And it kind of tasted sharp. It was really weird, but it did. So I, anyway, point was, I go out and I bought eight different waters, at least, or whatever the supermarket had. And we just sat there and, and we didn't know. Maybe, we, maybe there wouldn't be, maybe, maybe we couldn't tell. But it was obvious. You know, it was just obvious. We tried this one uh, in the States. I use Evermore, it's called. And that was the best with coffee. That was... But that was, was that a nice to the drink? Best, it was also the best for drinking. It just happened to uh, be what I wanted. But, uh, you know, 
And over here, uh, for your UK listeners, if you've got bad water and you're making coffee, Highland Spring. The Highland Spring. That's the one in the, it's in the yep. square bottle of it. It'll thistle yep. on it. Now, if you're in, it, like, I, it's usually most of the water in the UK is actually quite good right out of the tap. Um, but if you're in a real municipal area or something like that, if you can taste it, you don't like your water uh, that you're drinking in your tap, Highland Spring for coffee, you're welcome. Wow. <laughs> No, I, well, I always go back to like, why is this important? Why it's, it's, it sounds like we could just get really fussy about everything. Like the sofa we're sitting on has to be exactly the right sofa. Though we yeah. did have a conversation about square arm sofas. Yeah, yeah, didn't for we sure. Already? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it doesn't but have it's, to for be yeah, But yeah, but for me, it's about being fully present in a moment. And it's, oh, you know, you can have people who want to achieve things and have a big job and have the right career and visit all, you know, the seven wonders of the world and do all the things that, you know, that, that you're supposed to do for status, etc., etc. But to be fully present in a moment quite is quite often about experiencing life through our senses. How else mm. are you present? And that's what you learn in like meditation. Yeah. What do you hear? What do you taste? Be, think about your feet and your hands and your knees. What is each part of your body feeling mm. so to be thinking what is the exact taste of the glass of water in front of me you know my, my attitude is if you if you're in a supermarket and you're faced with choices don't wonder don't wonder do what it do what it takes to find out which one is the one you like don't don't sit there and go oh i guess you know just just buy them and try them that's what you know they brought them to you for it's kind of cool yeah and i think it's nice for um people who are creating products Mm. to um to have to you, you're pushing people to have to work harder so the idea with chocolate i like dark chocolate and some of the more i think chocolate um people who are selling you know the the cocoa beans were just given a flat rate for any sort of bean that they provided and therefore some of those really exquisite fantastic flavors yeah were becoming extinct because then they're just going to produce the cheaper easier you know that that would be true with a lot of things you're making a really good point and that is that some people really put their heart and soul into making a superior product because they believe in it and then it doesn't even get tried because the product is purchased because of the packaging or you know some other random thing that's not about a taste something's test. cheaper just to produce in bulk and no one cares about the quality of it yeah well in the consumption stage you know you make the decision of what's familiar to you or etc and stuff like that but yeah that's that is part of the great greatest thing about that's one of the noblest things about chasing pleasure is that when you do chase pleasure and when you have an opinion about something and its brilliance you are in effect rewarding the the person who the artisan yeah. who made that product and really put it you know made it worthy and then yeah. also it, it, then it goes beyond that if you then share it with somebody else and it sort of takes off then that that person who really did the good thing is rewarded and quite often you can end up taking the power off the big off the big companies which just mass producing um products and aren't caring about you know the individual we came literally straight from um a little farm in chesterfield which is called adam's happy hens and we just had a chat with adam who is a young lad and he's put his heart and soul into that farm he's got his chickens um and he's got this beautiful little shop and I tell you, those eggs, there was a butter box of eggs that were double yoked, you know, just the character. And those, I, I just know that the products that he's selling are going to taste better than the eggs I'm going to get in a supermarket. That, but if I'm just going to blindly go to the supermarket, people like him 
are going to go out of business and that mm. would take the character out of you know yeah. out of towns and towns and cities and i don't want to fully slag supermarkets because i do very well chasing flavor in the supermarkets oh yeah yeah just by trying everything yeah you know? we've also had long conversations was it was that, was that yesterday about um hipsters and, <laughs> and current trends and right. all of those things what interests I think, me I think we're going to need a bigger podcast no yeah, yeah, yeah we're not going to get into that in too much depth because that was a really long conversation yeah but what you're talking about is discovering your own personal taste discovering your own yeah. palette learning to know yourself learning to know what you like yeah like when I talk about creativity I say you know I'm going to teach people to paint when everyone's going to paint like me you're going to find yeah. your own style so um there might be some things in movements like the hipster movement whether this is a cool beer drink this you're going to look good on Instagram yeah or you know this is a cool coffee this is the best one you should drink this but you're not saying that you're saying find what works for you aren't yeah you? I think what we said at that point also was that it, it seemed to be modern uh a lot of people nowadays are more interested in their image brand as opposed to searching, allowing their senses to drive. Do you know what I mean? Like allowing their senses, the, the trusting image. their own, trusting themselves. Well, they're more, they're what they're chasing is, is image and personal brand as opposed to, um, letting their senses lead them where they really want to go. Damn the reputation. Yeah. And that's, uh, I don't know. All I can say is that a life of chasing your own tastes and pleasure, I mean, that's a life well lived, you know? Because you're, you're present, you're, you're experiencing. And I think you can go to the ends of the earth to try and have this huge experience. I've always known this for some reason. You know, you can be there and you can be in front of the Taj Mahal and you can be taking pictures, but you might not actually be present. Yeah. And I've, all, I've had this, I did a series of paintings years ago and it was all people drinking cups of tea. And I was just thinking, that's the moment you're sitting there with a cup of tea. There's some famous Buddhist monk, and I can't remember his name, but he says he's got an hour-long meditation that he does over a cup of tea. Mm -hmm. Because you can experience you know, connection with the universe and with the world at home, on your sofa, with that drink, and, and have a receive more enlightenment than perhaps you can. You must have to microwave it a few times. I know, an hour. I yeah. thought so too, but I'm sure he said an hour. Mm. Yeah, you know, I'm sure he gets up and you know, has a brief microwave interlude and then carries on his meditation. I'm yeah, sure, I'm maybe sure he has one of those electrical heating pads. That he a little candle. On, right? a little <laughs> candle. candle. It would be a candle. Because I was going to say those electrical heating pads isn't very monk-like, is it? No, yeah, yeah. He'll, have a, he'll have a candle. Under Very monastic. I have to use that because this is my only chance. To right. use the word monastic. Monastic. I never get a chance to say that. <laughs> oh my gosh. That leaves me with so much to think about. So today we're going to... What was the cocktail with the agave nectar? What was that? that oh, I'm gonna, yeah, we're going to do the most basic of pleasurable cocktails. And when I say basic, I don't mean to insult it because it's also the most universally popular cocktail that I make, which is the, the classic margarita. Oh, that's exciting. And we're actually... So I, it's actually not the classic margarita. I'll just let you all in the, in the podcast know that uh, I don't like the taste of orange liqueurs. So the, the when people put Cointreau and stuff like that into the mix, it wasn't for me. A while back, I looked into, um, I went on a tequila site um, that was, and I asked them what they do, what the people who really want to respect the, the spirit do. And I found somebody's recipe that doesn't involve Cointreau, and it's been my go-to. And almost everybody I make it for says that's the best margarita I've ever had. Here it is. You use one ounce 
of tequila and your choice of tequila doesn't have to be expensive but it should be at least a reposado don't use silver get some of the barrel aged flavor in there okay doesn't have to be that expensive like even you know i don't want to mention even the even your cheap brand at the supermarket i'm not going to mention brands but if if it's there and if it's at least reposado go for that you'll be good then you have uh so you have sorry it's one ounce of fresh squeezed lime juice then it's 1.5 ounces of tequila. So it's one to 1.5. And then what you do is interesting. You put that in a shaker with some ice and you add some agave sweetener. So agave sweetener is like syrup. It's like a syrup that uh, people often use as a um, sugar Sugar replacement. Yeah, Yeah, you can get it on Amazon or any supermarket has it. Uh, I like the dark one, it's a bit richer. Uh, The darker you go, but it's not that big a deal. Experiment with them, buy them all, try them all. Yeah, but do a spreadsheet. Case, I have. <laughs> but uh, but in any case, yeah, so you squeeze a bit of this in um, to, you know, by your using your eyeball. Then you shake it up and take a tiny spoon and taste it. And you will reach a point where the sweetness of the agave syrup balances this, the tartness of the lime. And once that's happened, the lime should lead just a little bit you've got a cocktail that's going to blow everybody's minds. And it's so easy to do. It's like three ingredients. You shake it up. It's not a problem. Your guests are going to think you're a superman or woman. That's yeah. it. Well, and you don't have to be sitting in your nice house with your feet up while you're drinking that. You can also be on a ship somewhere in the big ocean. That's correct. Yeah. Picking up some refugees. I mean, so I... you can have. you don't have to choose between a beautiful life experiencing just plain pleasure i made an emergency shaker by cutting the top off of a 1.5 liter water bottle and turning it in on itself and oh smashing it gosh. down and that was my shaker that's some hardcore slacktivism right there. yeah that's right that's you know it's gorilla gorilla cocktails gorilla cocktails that's and right. slacktivism yeah that's what you get so i'm gonna see when my neighbor is home and we're gonna go and see if we can um get some agave nectar right and get that shit oops shaken. i said bad word shaken yeah that's right there you go that was quite a conversation. Paul, it's been great. Hey, it's been my pleasure too. I'm sure we'll do it again. Catch you all soon. So that was most certainly a conversation that got me thinking. If it was a conversation that got you thinking too and you'd like somewhere to talk about it, remember that me and my friend Lisa have a Facebook group called Getting Naked with Drunken Nuns. Don't put those words into Google. It's probably not a good idea. But if you put them into Facebook, a group should appear. Looking forward to hearing from you guys and see you all soon.